You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. You know, you make records today, and it's an interesting process to be making records that people want to make records, they want to make music, and they want to record the music, and they want to share it with people. But the the basic economic imperative for that is no longer that pertinent for most musicians mm. because streaming is such an insignificant uh, source of income for most mm-hmm. normal artists. So as you, as you rightly uh, infer, um, the touring becomes a much more important aspect of the recorded music. Hello and welcome to the Southern Stars Coronavirus Podcast. I'm the news editor, Siobhan Cronin, and this week's interview is with Kule singer and producer Irla O'Linnard. A former member of the hugely successful Afro-Celt sound system, in more recent years Irla is a member of the traditional folk supergroup The Gloaming. But Irla has many more strings to his bow, and in this wide-ranging interview with our own resident musical, Niall O'Driscoll, Irla talks about growing up in Kule, his varied career, and how he has worked through the pandemic from his home near Inishtig in County Kilkenny. Irla also features in this week's musical treat at the end of this podcast. Irla Leonard, welcome to the Southern Star podcast. How are you keeping? Thank you, Niall. I'm delighted to be here and I'm very well. Thank you very much. How are you? Ash, I'm, I'm, I'm not too bad. I suppose we're all managing under, under the circumstances. How, how has it been for you all along? Well, it's like everybody else, it's been very different. Um, don't meet many friends. Mm. Um, don't go many places, I suppose. Um, you know, it's everything is kind of, the world has become kind of smaller in a way. It, it has. And you're, you're, you're living in, in Stieg in, in County Kilkenny, is that correct? I am yes. I I this is my family home here, and I'm I'm sitting here in my um. I remember one time I went to France and had to work with a guy, and I said, "Oh, I like your studio. Don't call it a studio." He said, "It's my salle de musique." So, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> maybe maybe this is my um my salle de musique, but it's the room where I make music. It's my my stu- my home studio here in my house in um, Inishtig, which is near Thomastown. If people are wondering where it is, which is. Sure. Where's that near? I mean, it's not far from Waterford. It's not far from New Ross. Sure. South Kilkenny. Mm. We have we, we have a Kilkenny man. The man who's going to be editing this podcast is a Kilkenny man. So we'll, 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 we'll say nice things about it anyway. <laughs> well, I only have nice things to say about it. Brilliant. This part of the world is beautiful. What, and, um, what, what took you up there as, as, a, as, a, as a West Cork man? What took you to Kilkenny? Well, um, I suppose I was living in Dublin for many, many years, for about 16 years. And um, I met my wife there, Emer, and we were wanting to build a house or, you know, mm-hmm. rather than buy a house in Dublin, we were wanting to go to the outskirts because we, you know, both of us had uh, business and other connections with Dublin, but it became very difficult to get anything near Dublin. And then we kept moving out. She's from Kildare. And I remember just telling her that I, really liked one trip I made here to the Kilkenny Arts Festival many years ago and I liked it so much that I I woke up on somebody's floorboards in Thomastown. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't I didn't know anything else about Thomastown other than that I had woken up there 
and I kind of had met some nice people. So we, we, we just found a site and um, started looking around here. It was about 20 years ago. Wow. I think, I think, I think we've all woken up on somebody's floorboards somewhere, somewhere <laughs> at some time, haven't we? It doesn't always, I don't think it always acts as the spur to, to necessarily set up shop, but um, that's how it <laughs> happened. And there's an artistic community in, um, in this part of the world. You know, there, sure. I mean, there, there is a community in most parts of Ireland, I feel, um, but, but that we don't probably think about it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kilkenny, of course, has a very strong visual arts culture. Sure. Uh, interests me. And um, also, it, it has and has had a lot of mu- musical um, culture too. But it's a very different place from where I grew up. You know, the history and the prehistory and the sort of the layers of history around here are something I really wouldn't have been aware of growing up in West York. You know, you have Mormon influence here. You have, you have far different archaeology mm-hmm. um, and history here. And I find it interesting. Very good. So you're, you're, you're in the ancient East there as opposed to the Wild Atlantic Way. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, mean, look, don't get me wrong. It's hard to take the West out of the man. <laughs> For sure. But... Um, you know, most places have have their charms, and um, Kilkenny is very, very interesting, a very beautiful county. Um, and I, it's, it's still, although my mother did say, I, I, she made a comment at one point saying that I wasn't near anything. Right. Okay. <laughs> which, which was ironic, given that she lives in Ballyborney. But um, <clears throat> there you have it. There you are. So, I mean the obvious thing is the lockdown and the lack of gigs and that kind of stuff, which I'm sure you'd have spent the summer or before the summer even doing. Uh, what, what, what has it meant for you now? So what have you been doing in, in the past six months or so? Or Well, I was in the United States um, until the 1st of March. I was, mm-hmm. I've been a visiting lecturer in Princeton university there for about five years now. And I flew home, on the 1st of March, because typically my engagement there is one semester, as they say. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the gigs I had kind of lined up at that point, which were various, you know, um, they all started, I mean, I think, like most people, coming up to Paddy's is usually a, a busier time, shall we say. Sure. And um, the, the, the gigs started um, just being cancelled, basically. So... My agent, um, Una Malloy, returning pirate, mm-hmm. she worked tirelessly to salvage some of them and, and managed to. But for mm-hmm. the most part, I think I've only sung in front of an audience maybe twice since then. Wow. And, and these were in very restricted circumstances. I have, I have been lucky now to do, um, to be asked to do some of these new, more streaming type gigs for sure. various people. But um, the, the the live gig thing is 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 um, just not happening. Sure. Now you you did do a live gig recently enough in Clifton. Is that correct? I did. Uh, there's a wonderful arts festival there. Mm. Uh, last time I played there was about eight years ago with Cleek Shry and Ivan Goff. We were we were going out that time as Ghost Trio. Yes. And I was delighted that Brendan Flynn, uh, the director of that festival, a wonderful festival, a wonderful director invited me to come back and um, I elected to um, do a, a Steve Cooney or Lolinard concert there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up actually doing two concerts there because 
one of the other guests, Sean O'Shea, who was due to appear the following day with Padre Rida, but he, he became um sorry, that's 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 uh, texts coming in on me. Sorry. Sorry, if you're okay. Uh, but anyway, um uh, we 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 ended up doing two gigs basically, but they were delightful, you know. Mm. I mean, I do remember asking the audience were they did they feel inhibited because I felt they were somewhat inhibited. Okay, and it's not that they would be jumping up and down at gigs of mine anyway, but mm. you just you really did feel something. Sure. And they did, they just said they were inhibited. They were all wearing masks. They were all two meters from each other, so you had you had far fewer people at the concerts because they just couldn't be allowed in. But I am very thankful to the um, folks in Clifton for going ahead with the festival. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, people ask me, well, that must have been very strange. And perhaps you didn't enjoy it. I actually enjoyed it a lot. Good, good. You know, the thing about concerts is no matter what the circumstances, and this is a bit of a sweeping statement, but mm. I feel sometimes that no matter what the circumstances, now, the audience and the artist find a way Mm-hmm. to bridge that gap. And I mean, the first gig we did was in a on Friday evening in a church. And that became a more a more meditative space than even usual. Wow. Cool. Um, as so few people, but at the same time, I could feel them and we all, I could see them closing their eyes. And then the next day, then we did one in, in a nice, lovely kind of hall. And again, that was a different vibe but it had its own magic. So, sure. you know, I was happy enough with it, I must say, but um, they're few and far between. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I suppose there, there's, unfortunately, there's no real light at the end of the tunnel just yet, is there? It's, 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 a, it's a day-to-day thing at the moment, I think, isn't it? There's, there's, it, there's... Is, it is. I mean, there, there, I mean, so many artists have had, you know, near misses where they might have a concert organised and it's, Pulled at the last minute, or sure, sure. a lot of that going on. Um, it's it's been it's been very very difficult and very unusual. Sure. Uh, but, no, go ahead. To be. Um, no, you have been busy though. You have been doing a lot of recording and a lot of work like that, haven't you? I have. I mean, look, I probably would have been anyway. Sure. Um, because I had kind of started working on things before I came home. Mm-hmm. And also, I had a few projects I needed to finish, um, which happened to kind of fall into the kind of calendar April, May, June, and they needed to be finished. And just one of them finished a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was, uh, so, so part of my lockdown was finishing the Linda Buckley recording, actually. Very good. And it's not actually in the credits, but I, my, my vocals were done here. Excellent. Very good. So you can do it all at home. Uh, well, you'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I think so. But of course, I had a huge help from Adrian uh, in the Crash uh, Ensemble. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, um, let me just check something here for you because I like Over. to be. Um, I like to be Adrian Hart. Sure. Who is their in-house engineer, and he, he was extremely patient with me and very helpful because you know I'm not an engineer. Mm-hmm. I have I have the capability to record myself and to send it away, and maybe someone else, you know, EQs it and stuff better sure. than I can. But he did he did a lot, but yes, I did all that here, and um, 
I, I, I was meant to do it in a studio in Dublin, but I was actually ill okay. at the time that they were doing it. I mm -hmm. literally couldn't speak. I remember ringing them and they, they were very understanding of my, my plight. Uh, it was, well, it was pretty obvious. <laughs> you, you were of no use to them whatsoever. <laughs> no. Yeah. But, um, so that, that was something I had to do. That took a little longer than I thought. Um, the, the thing about Linda's music, I think, is that it has the outward appearance of kind of simplicity. Sure. But it's really complicated. Mm. And, uh, you know, also, I suppose, doing it on your own here without a conductor or other musicians in the room to guide you or to sure. bounce off. I, I found that very challenging. But I, did, but I managed it. And I was really, really happy to be able to say that Great. I'd done it. Now, th that, was, that was done. So then I was, last week there, I was finishing another project, um, I started working with um, Neil Martin, the, the composer, Neil Martin, mm -hmm. Belfast man, and Stephen Ray on, a, on an interesting project um, more than a year ago, maybe two years ago. Um, Seamus Heaney's translation of the medieval epic, Willa Sivne, uh, Sweeney Astray, in mm -hmm. Heaney's words. Neil set that to music. Wow. As a cycle interspersed or tied together rather with a narrator in the form sure. of Stephen Ray. Uh was produced by Lee Shaw O'Brien for Lyric. And that was actually just the recording was put to bed um on this the day before yesterday. Or sorry, right. Friday. That that's done with the with the RTE concert orchestra, is that correct? That's right. So that's that was the the orchestra recorded in advance. Um I did some guide tracks with them in mm -hmm. RTE. Um, I can't remember when, but it was long before any of this. And um, as I say, the second half of it then, I did myself in studio in RT just this last um, Thursday. Brilliant. I think it came in the next day. So, so, so it's being mixed right now. That's a very interesting project. Quite demanding um, mm. as well. <laughs> but uh, very glad to get, get it done. And when is that due out, or do you know? When well, you I don't know. Um, mm. um, it would be a smart man now could predict the the. Um, you see, I think not only are concerts uh, kind of in a, in a state of limbo. Mm. I think release dates for all other aspects of recorded work are sort of retarded as well. Sure. Yeah. Nobody knows. There's, there's a general lack of confidence about when to release. You know? and, and very often, I suppose, well, maybe not something like that, but perhaps, but very often with a band or an artist, there's a tour involved with the release as well, which obviously the tour can't happen, so the release doesn't, it doesn't have the relevance in that sense, I suppose. Well, the thing about it is too, um, I'm not sure what that was. My phone was talking. <laughs> it's weird. Um, sorry about that. I think yeah, you, 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 you mentioned that there. Um, you know, you make records today and it's an interesting process to be making records and people want to make records, they want to make music and they want to record the music and they want to share it with people. But the, the basic economic imperative for that is no longer that pertinent for most musicians mm. because streaming is such an insignificant uh, source of income for most mm -hmm. normal artists. So, as you as you rightly uh, infer, um, 
the touring becomes a much more important aspect of the recorded music. Sure. Uh, unless, of course, you're just for some reason not wanting to tour or not needing to tour, because that's the only way that most musicians can actually make a living is to actually tour the work. Is it, is it something you... Sorry, go ahead. But it's quite different from when I started making records, you know? Mm. I mean, when I started making records with the Afro-Celts, say the first kind of professional music I was making, yeah. you know, the, the records were selling in huge volumes mm. back in those days for, for many artists. Um, and um, you, you, you earned more from the records than you did from touring. Sure, sure. And it's completely flipped. You know, it's, it's a very, um, you have to work a lot harder now. Is, is, is it something that you, that you enjoy? I mean, not so much the live thing. I'm going to assume that you love the live thing, but do you enjoy the touring aspect of it? Do you enjoy the traveling? It's, I do. I do. Mm. Uh, I do. Um, um, do I always enjoy it? No, I don't think it's possible to always enjoy it. Because, sure, yeah. you know, we, we've been all saying in, in most bands I've been in, like that the, the quality of the hotel is in, in inverse proportion to the amount of time you have to spend in it. <laughs> And All right, okay. <laughs> I found that the best hotels you arrive there at one in the morning and you leave again at five in the morning. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So gotcha. The, the amount of time to kick back can sometimes be you, you, you have time and you don't want it and you don't have it and you need it. It's, it's very challenging mm. a lot of time. But at the same time, uh, I think most musicians will probably tell you that they get into it and you, you, you develop a kind of a, a kinship of, of being on the road and you kind of a bond and. And um, you have a lot of fun as well. You know, I mean, most people cocking in nine to five have not had and do not have the opportunity to see, um, to intersect with the, the large world as, as musicians do. I've seen a huge amount of the world um, right. and I've never really had to pay for it. Well, I have, but it didn't feel like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so... I suppose maybe something we should have touched off at the beginning, just to go, to go right back to the start of your, your, not even your career, but your, your musical journey as such. Um, obviously, you're from Cooley and, and, and you're near Bellavorny, uh, a stronghold of Irish music. Um, stronghold. <laughs> what, um, what got you started? I mean, was it in the family? Uh, um, I think, no, it was, yes. No, I mean, I was just going to say, was it a case of, you, you, you started in a, well, you did start in a choir, but what, were you taking lessons or where did the real thing begin for you, do you know? Well, yes, that would be, it would be interesting to know that, wouldn't it? Right, okay. <laughs> um, it was, uh, you know, I think it was actually an amalgam of all of those things, to be frank. Sure. Um, there was a lot of singing in the locality. I think that locality is well known in folk circles mm-hmm. for singing in particular. Um, there, there, there are not many famous musicians came from there. There are many um, noted singers have come from that part of the Musgrave took far uh, since the 1950s sure. and, and early. Um, so it was in the air for sure, and 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 thereby I I, I I did avail of of singing lessons as as a young boy, quite young. Um, I mean, you know, uh, going to night classes for many years. Um, Learning how learning repertoire, okay, the likes of Shauna Lehine and other people, 
and then of course um my my um that side of it that ecology side of it if you will i joined the kool choir uh, well, it didn't even seem like you joined it you you were kind of you were expected to be part of it sure. you know I mean? back in the day when everybody went to mass and uh i never actually found mass a disappointing thing in the sense that other people might have i'm not mm. suggesting that they did but i always had the companionship of the music as part of my experience of mass from the time i was very very small and then i do recall as well getting singing lessons from padre rida with another with a group of young lads every most saturdays and very so cool. that kind of engaged my ability to expand repertoire and to improve my well i would say perhaps others would not <laughs> to improve my my approach and my technique and my uh, general understanding um so there was that pedagogy side was there for sure and it came sure. from the locality um it was there you know i mean Sean Reed's arrival in Cooley you know clearly energized that e- ecology you know mm-hmm. kind of gave it a jump start it might have needed a bit of a jump start but it was there however uh, even before his arrival you know um because of course uh recordings have been made in the Musgrave took since since the 40s and 50s of of tremendous singers and, and so forth um so so i i i was learning from from a lot of people around but it was in my family too you know my mother yeah. uh, who still lives in Cooley with my dad thank god that she she's a lovely singer and all of her side of the family at uh, the Harleys and Elizabeth Cronin her aunt mm. you know they had singing they had it in them but of course she was profoundly gifted so sure. Elizabeth Cronin mm. and she would have been she would have been an um, an early um um influence I don't know if that if that is that is that I always I'm always afraid of I'm always afraid of sort of the unavoidable creating of narrative for oneself you know right okay okay my story you know um because you see the impression I've given there to you now is that that was a kind of a a sealed universe you know I understand yeah um kind of perfectly formed and you know welded in the corners but it was <laughs> it was actually very permeable sure i suppose i suppose in one sense that 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 kind of leads me to the next question was um at at, at what point did you just i mean were you always going to be a singer or at what point did you decide you were going to give this thing a go properly i mean what, what was there another career on the horizon to, to begin with Well, there wasn't any major career plans i i went to college i i i did some primary teaching quite a bit of primary teaching mm. i worked as a independent film producer um i worked as a presenter on television um i worked as a salesman i um <laughs> uh, i think i was i mean to be honest i was i was well in i was in my early 30s when 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 i finally managed to achieve a kind of a, a fruitful dialogue with a with a record company mm okay i mean i had um po- very positive relations and discussions with gaylin in ireland mm. and would have made a number of records um with them for example a record with tony mcmahon 
and Noel Hill. And the early Sloga comp competition recordings. But mm -hmm. And I'd been talking to them for years about, oh, I want to make a, my own record. And they were receptive, you know. But I, I, I suppose, um, Niall, I became less satisfied with what I perceived might be the the sort of record I might have to make for for, for um, a more local label. And I reached out to, to an English label, Real World, yes. um, in that sort of a frame of mind. And they were very receptive. They hadn't really heard uh, anything about native Gaelic singing. The, the, this um, being Peter Gabriel's label, of course. Yeah, I don't think they... I mean, they knew an awful lot about what, you know, could be rather perhaps negatively called exotic musics. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like um, quali singing and vast tracts of African music making. Mm -hmm. um, they knew all about that. I, I may have been lucky in that when I reached out to them, I might have been one of the first people they heard talking about this thing called Shannos. Sure. So uh, they, they were very receptive and, and, um, you know, they gave me a, a solo record deal. I made, I've made three records with them and, and they made um, seven records with the Afrocats, which kind of happened around the same time um, by accident, sort of. But in basic terms, I was, I was in my thirties before I kind of found any legs at all, I thought. So, so were you working in a solo capacity and with the Afrocats at the same time? It, it tended to be that, well, historically how it happened for me was that I was signed to Real World as a solo artist, but the making and release of my record was delayed by about two years because I just happened to stroll into a studio and meet this production kind of unit that were making an Afro-Celt record. Sure. Experimenting. And I just walked in and I just started doing things with them and they liked it and I liked it. And, and uh, they made the record and we all parted company. And the next thing it was being played a lot and it started selling quite a lot. Brilliant. And so the record company said, look, we, we, we want, we want um, you to be able to focus on your record. Um, so just do this work first, you know? Okay. My, my, my making my first solo record with them was sort of somewhat delayed and it always tended to be, um, <laughs> You you will you will not be surprised that, you know, uh, record companies, even one as um, as um, positively disposed towards the artist as real world, mm. will take it of the popularity when they can find it. Sure, of course they will. I mean, they're 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 looking to make well, they are they have to make music or make make money, I suppose, at the end of the day, don't they? So they they will try and. They will. I mean, I guess you could argue that the Afrocals records subsidise my own records. You know, well, that's fair. That's 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 a fair enough exchange, I suppose, isn't it? And it got my name out there too. Um, to be honest, I was able to go all over the world with them. And you know, if I went to America now tomorrow, for example, there's yeah. a high likelihood during a tour somebody would come up to me and say I was a big Afrocals fan. Excuse me, here I'm just turning off a noisy computer here. But that's, but I mean, that's it. Is as you say, it was it was your introduction into certain certain parts of the world or different markets and things, which can never be a bad thing. They were a big crowd pleaser, and they, you know, they were very commercially successful. 
given what they were doing and um, they were sort of top, top of the heap of what they were doing. Um, I don't know how many times they were number one in the world music charts. Mm. And they were, they were very, they were nominated for Grammys twice and they were, you know, um, they were noticed. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what you want, I think, isn't it? That's what you want. Probably as well, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, having come from such a, I suppose, dare I say it, an, uh, I'm going to I'm going to use the phrase extreme traditional background, but uh, what you've done since and to date has gone in a lot of different directions. I mean, there's always that touch of the, the Shannos or the whatever in, in, in your voice. But the, the, the music that you put it to, or that the artists that you've worked with, obviously the Afro-Celts being a classic example, um, what, 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 guide, what guides your own um, choice as to say, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do this, or... Is, is... Well, um, it, it depends really on the project, I suppose. Mm. Now, I mean, sometimes people will, will, will contact me and want me to do something for them. Um, um, sometimes these are commissions that composers get, for example, to work with an artist and they say, oh, I might ask him. And like that has been maybe the case with Linda. Although, of course, she, she, we were quite good friends anyway. And I think yeah. she was anxious to work with me and I was her. Now, in the case of, say, someone like Donica Dennehy in that field of new classical, mm. um, he, he, he was anxious to work with me and learn more about the, the native singing tradition through me and then shape... Um, his works um, partly by deploying me, you know. Um, so, so sometimes you get invited to do those things and sometimes they happen because you meet people. Mm. Um, other times I have actually written to composers myself and said, look, would you be interested in doing something with me? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that, that's that kind of music, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's over there. And uh, the, the other stuff I do... Uh, my solo work is usually more torturous and slow. And uh, that has always usually involved maybe working with a key producer mm-hmm. and just working for a very long period of time to create very little. <laughs> uh, it may be little in, in, in volume, but it's, it's the quality is there, isn't it? You know? I hope so. Well, it takes time, but I don't know what guides my, me aesthetically um, to answer more of that question. Mm. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a bit of a mystery, to be honest, because um, I think, of course, when I, when I made, say, my first solo record with Real World, they mm. really wanted me to make a kind of a bookend record, you know, one that would say, I belong to this, but I'm looking over there. Okay. They would not be happy if I was just looking over there. Okay. They wanted, and, and I think I wanted to, um, to give a sense of of connection to the, the that which I had inherited, and that's why it was called Shachtgesch Game the Trocher, which 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 um, is a description of this idea that if you if, if you see a, a cortege, a funeral cortege going in any X direction, you, wherever you're going, you turn and walk with them for seven steps. So oh, it's yeah. a way of saying I I'm respectful of what I was given. Mm-hmm. But in a while, I'm going to walk my own way. <laughs> so that's kind of what I was thinking and still do. Okay. But um, I often wonder actually what guides me. Um, more and more, 
I feel I feel less obligated to um, any particular area of music. Mm. Um, I feel more obligated to trying to find something genuine to express. I don't fret as much as I used to about any box ticking that I might need to be aware of. That, that must which be might be down. To, well, you know that could be granular. Yeah. Like one tiny little move of your voice suggests that you're doffing the cap. You know. Yeah. But but I mean to have that to, to give to grant yourself that kind of liberty to 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 not have to tick those boxes. It must be very it must be very freeing to your. That is. I mean, it's a long time. I mean, I think it's a long time coming, you know. Mm. I think I probably was in my 40s before I felt the the fact that I could just just do what I want, really. And, uh, And of course, you know, I think it was someone, I don't know who told me long ago, but your voice is shaped by that which you sang, you know, when you were young. Right. It doesn't mean it has to stay there. Mm. I mean, I, I've, I've tried to develop the way I sing and to have other attributes so that I can I can express things in, in novel ways for myself, depending on the material. That's that's an important consideration for me. But what's still contained inside it is the early learning. Mm. It's in the muscle. Sure, sure. And it's it's in your your tonal language. It's in your bones as well, and in your mouth, and, and in your mandible, and in your body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the choices I make these days are more likely to be informed by the words I'm trying to sing, the people I'm collaborating with, and my desire to maximize, if I can, what I'm trying to express. Um, I'm, go- I'm going to steal from an interview you did yourself now on your on your radio series. Uh, uh, a question yeah. that, or an answer that stemmed from something you asked Peter Gabriel, and it's it's not unrelated to what we're talking about. There is where he talks about this idea of uh, what was what was the quote? Um, but ba- basically, basically he's he's picking the likes of Bob Dylan or Randy Newman or someone like that who are not particularly good singers, but they do develop a way to deliver the song. You know. Um, uh, yes. It doesn't. It doesn't apply to you, you know, because you are you are this very fine singer, but you're also able to deliver a song really well. I, I, um, to what to what extent do, you, do can that be can that be learned the delivery part of it? If that makes sense, I mean. Well, I, I think that the delivery part is the hardest thing for me to learn, actually. Okay. Because um, I I think it's a very interesting point you make. It's a fascinating area. And I am fascinated by that area every single day that I microphone is is on, mm. and that is because I think in my own in my own case, I spent many many years l- trying to be a good singer, yeah. you know, trying to be musically adept, and and spent less time investing in sort of when to say the thing or who to be you know mm. <laughs> who to be really came into being with Bob Dylan okay I think well we could definitely argue it that the first person to really say it's me I'm talking to you mm. but me 
even if his me is invented. Yes. And so his delivery is is very much that of the kind of this character he's invented, who is also the art storyteller. Mm. Whereas I think a piano singer is very, very taken up with repertoire, or at least I was. Mm. So I think that it was much harder for me to learn that kind of a thing, the delivery. Um, there are certain things that I've always tried to do early on. Like there was a certain area of the voice I always liked being in, which is just below the ceiling of discomfort and just to above the ceiling of comfort it's a kind just, of a just enough to stretch the voice like yeah and something funny happens there with your voice and there's sort of a it has an unusual texture and it's very affecting when, when you hear it and it's very affecting mm. when you do it so many many songs i sing i'm always trying to get in there somewhere for for a period uh, what i love about people like bob dylan though is that um he invents his own reality mm. And um, he controls all the parameters then. And that's, that's true artistry, you know. Yeah. Um, any, any any, of, probably not. Say again? <laughs> I don't know if any of that made any sense at all. No, it, 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 makes, it makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, I, I won't deny, I, I struggle with, with Dylan's voice, to be honest with it. I struggle, I mean... Nobody can deny the power of the songs. I mean, one hundred percent. But I do, I do struggle with his voice, and um, I, I don't. It just, it just doesn't do it for me necessarily. I, put it another way, I find it very interesting. The Dylan records that I like, I find, are the ones that other people don't like, hmm. in a weird way. And I think it's because it's maybe because he's pulled himself back a little bit. I mean, there's that um, that slow train coming album, lovely record, yeah, which I really enjoy, but it's not normal Bob Dylan really is it you know it's it's a bit slick yeah exactly funny enough I mean I'm very taken with him yeah. even though you'd imagine I'd be more following like I mean I mean on the other hand you know I'm very partial to people who are just known to be exquisite voices too mm. um, you know because of what they can do and sort of the, the sheer quality of what they do. Mm. Um, I think I think Dylan is offering something different. The more broken his voice is, the more I like it. It's funny. <laughs> okay. But actually, I'm glad of that because it's something I needed to learn. Okay. You know? Because mm. I think that I was always in danger of just trying to be perfect, you know? And it's something I have to be... I have to... I have to allow myself... Because I don't know if... I don't really know if much is revealed in that kind of perfection. Sure. I fear not. I fear sure. not. I fear there's a sheer musicality revealed. That's true. Mm. And, but remember as well that I'm a folk musician. So it's sort of gradations of tone you get in a violin and a folk violin. Mm. That, that, that grain, if you like, is something that I find appealing naturally. So it was sort of counterintuitive what I was doing, you know, in terms of trying to perfect the singing voice. It's more natural, I think. And this is where Dylan comes in, the mm -hmm. folk voice to, to engage with multiple timbre worlds, you know? Sure. A sure. As part of the story. And um, it's something I, I, I still work very hard on. The when, the gotcha. who. Mm-hmm. 
more than the what. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, uh, this kind of modern world that we're living in now, and I mean, the very thing we're doing here, uh, we're, we're having this wonderful conversation, but we're, you know, it's it's a digital thing. It's uh, I, I I know you uh, like when you're when you're teaching in Princeton. Uh, I there's this concept of orality. I think is that correct? Or it's 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 about, it's basically about uh, the spoken word. It's about communicating orally. Yes, and even the tradition of of the Shanno songs and the old songs would have been passed on orally. Um, now. The fact that we're doing it digitally now, is that still okay? Or is it something that stuff needs to be... Do you need to be in the room with someone, is what I'm asking you, to pass on no. these, these songs? Uh, well, uh, well, that's a different question. Okay. okay. It's <laughs> do you need to be in the room? Perhaps. No, we don't, because we're having quite, quite a nice conversation. Mm. And people are having a conversation all, all over the world at this present second in time. Mm. Similar way because of circumstances and before those circumstances and indeed after these circumstances finish, people mm. will be deploying extraordinary technologies, won't they? Mm. And I think they're very effective. Um, I think they are very effective. More, you know, their success depends more on how much you want to do something. Sure, they can deliver in proportion to how much you want to do it. I think. Um, the the thing about. Um, teaching i suppose i'm not teaching at the moment so i i do feel for um professors and lecturers and teachers who who want to be able to help their students as much as possible mm. and who may find that they're not quite able to do it sure. the way they want to uh, but i think they should they should uh, give themselves a bit of a break you know <laughs> Because uh, you know my own son is um, is in his second year in, in university in Dublin, and um, all of his classes are online now. But I, yeah. I don't hear him complaining about it. He's getting on with it, and I think so will all of the other students. Uh, you know, if I had to guess, I think teaching music is is, is somewhat different in that it is, it is lovely to be sharing the same space as someone yeah. in music. You know? And perhaps that's what you were uh, inferring. R rather awkwardly getting around to you. <laughs> I know. I mean, I think you you made that clear. It just takes me a while to get to it. Um, I've seen people teach various instruments in university where they're in a room and there's a teacher and there's a student doing everything. And mm. there's that expression and then there's that perception and then there's that kind of analysis and discussion that's that is harder a lot to do of course um especially because you know at high levels at higher levels uh musicians are doing things that are at such fine gradations yes and it's very actual actually it's quite hard to perceive them sometimes mm. and you have to be listening very keenly in order to be able to give people that quality advice that's worth anything because they're already brilliant yeah. So the the notion of orality or anything to do with it is is very much to do with, I think, acknowledging the value of the hearing space, of the spoken space, mm -hmm. of of that space that's uh, lifted off the page, a more human space. Sure. And and of course, you you rightly say that my own tradition, um, at least half of it is non 
written, you know? Yeah. By, by which I mean, I learn most things by ear. Mm -hmm. I'll have a score in front of me just to check that I'm not completely bonkers. And occasionally I'll, I'll find the E or the F sharp I need on the keyboard. Mm. If I need to do something like that. But, but for the most part, my engine of understanding, if you like, of the musical processes is one of, of hearing, you know, and, and that this kind of a thing, you know, yes. flow. Yes. But there's the other half of me then. And I think this is not often spoken about in terms of traditional music. I'm very wedded to the written word when it comes to the songs and poems I set to music. Mm -hmm. And that kind of engagement is always the written word is supremely interesting to me. Yeah. And I don't find it, I don't actually find that I'm, oh, I'm lifting it off the page and giving it life. Not, not necessarily, you know. It already has a very beautiful life without being lifted off the page. And sometimes it might be better off to leave it alone. <laughs> I'm sure I might have wrecked a few things. There are no, there's no doubt in my mind that there are probably critics out there who wish to Christ I hadn't have bothered. Um, but I, I do love the written word. And anybody who knows me knows that. Mm. But I also like to sing it. You know, if I if it can if it can tell me that it wants to be sung in any way, um, there's a little bit of an invitation in there. I find, and I, I did a lot of that kind of work with the gloaming. Um. I, I suppose I just. I felt that the poets like Shauna Redon, for example could really talk to us mm. in a in a powerful way if we could if we could uh speak the poem in a musical register you know yeah that's that's very interesting i'm 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 constantly amazed by the gloaming in the sense of the amount of there's what five, there's five of you on stage but the amount of space that you create for yourselves is incredible Considering there's, I mean, I mean, your voice would be a, a lead instrument and you have two fiddles in there as well. And then you have Thomas on piano and, and Dennis on guitar. But the amount of space that you create in the music is just wonderful. And it's, yeah. it, 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 it serves the function then for the likes of yourself, I suppose, as well, to sing against it or whatever. But it's, it, it, could, it could be chaotic, you know? Oh, it could, absolutely. And mm. in fact, I think it's much harder, isn't it, to... Um, to know when not to. Yeah. Um, it's much harder to be economical in general as a musician. It, it, it's, it's very obvious that everybody's listening to everybody. You know? Well, it would be the right mess if they didn't. <laughs> I but was you feeling. Do, but you do, you, do, you do get that at times. Or you do get guys who, who want to be the look at me. No. Maybe there is that within the band. I'm not going to ask that question, but it never comes across that way. You know? Well, I think I think most successful bands, there are usually one or two focal points. That's true, yeah. and there's there are points, there are other areas that are less focal, less often, or maybe not at all. But I think in the case of the gloaming, there was a genuine effort made always to to, and not without difficulty, it is challenging to relocate that 
that node, if you like, mm. in terms of the music. Um, I, I always I look, I felt like a spectator most of the time in the globe because uh, <laughs> in my own experience as a, as a singer with other bands, I, I rarely stayed on the stage all the time, just walked on and off. Mm. But with them, I found I was sitting behind a keyboard, sort of behind them a little bit to the side, and I was able to see see a lot of what they were doing with mm. a, quite a sense of outsider fascination. Um, not having kind of perceived, because I've been saying for years to people, oh, I'd love to be at a session, you know. Jesus, you know. <laughs> I've accepted most people hate Baron playing, and the only thing I could kind of sit in and do. And, then somebody said to me after a gig I did in Cork that I wasn't really, I shouldn't be playing the baron. I'm not sure whether she meant that I shouldn't be playing the baron or that the baron wasn't a th- good thing to be playing in the gloaming. I never got to the bottom of that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it was enough of a message to me to say, I'm not playing baron again <laughs> with <Right>. the gloaming. <laughs> I'll try something else. So the harmonium then came into play, which is really, in my hands at least, very, very simple, um, very modest uh, musical contribution, which is very hard to mess up. Yeah, but it, it, it actually, it, it, it's, it's that drone thing, though, isn't it? It's, it, it, it works so well underneath these little delicate things that the lads are doing or that you may be singing yourself. Or... Sometimes it's exquisite, I think, because mm. it's modest and it gives them a chance to do other things. Yeah. It gives them a chance to lift the bow off and 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 kind of change gear in a different way. Mm. And and in fact, the the tonal fabric of all of it when you put it together, I think, is sweetened uh, by the by the harmonium. Mm. You know, is sweetened by it. Uh, but I, I've I've found it, as I've been saying, very useful as a as a dramatic device, so that <laughs> I can stay on. Brilliant. Brilliant. Maybe that was its only purpose, but they haven't told me. <laughs> um, is is there music coming up through the ranks in your own family? Are your are your your your, well, your children? My, my, well, the, my children are very musical. That's true. My son is quite a nice piano player, and he's a good drummer. Mm. Um, my girls, they they probably kill me for saying, but they're beautiful singers, but they're not doing it in front of people, which Okay, uh, is okay, you know. Um, I've never discouraged them or otherwise. I sure. I, I love what they sing because they have beautiful voices, very very beautiful. My wife's very musical, and she comes from a very musical family. I, I don't know if I, Limo Flynn was her uncle. Oh wow! Okay, Flynn. Um, whom we all miss very much. Yes, absolutely. And I, I had I had opportunity to make music with him in my life, which was. In fact, the first concert I ever did abroad mm. of a truly professional nature was with him. Wow. In Lorient. I think I was 19. And um, PJ Curtis, the broadcaster, told Sean Davy, this is the fellow you need to get. Oh. I don't know what made him think that. but <laughs> I got a call from Sean Davy then, and before I knew it, I was meeting Limo Flynn for the for the first time and hanging out with him for a couple of years. And that was a really uh, tremendous experience for me. I, I saw him performing the Brendan Voyage in, 
the church <coughs> in Bantry with with uh, the RTE orchestra. Oh, a long time ago now, must be fourteen or fifteen years ago, easily it's it. And it was it was quite something. There was a lot of air moving in the room, if you know what I mean. Yes, and he was exquisite. Mm. Um, but he also carried himself. Um, you know, by not making it about himself, yeah, it was so clearly about him. Yes, and his singularity as a musician. Mm. But I, I know that he never really made it about himself. But it, that sort of selfhood he he expressed, nevertheless, just made you admire him all the more. Wonderful, wonderful. Also, um, his tone. Mm. He had the tone. If you heard it for 20 seconds, less, 10 seconds on the radio, I'd know it was him. Yeah. I'd absolutely know. And so would everybody else. Um, you know, yeah, he was, he was, he was, a, he was a Formula One. Very much, very much. <laughs> um, I won't take up much, no, more no, your to- much more of your time now. Um, quick question. And it's one we've been asking all of our, our, um, our kind of podcast guests is, through the lockdown, or, or normally even, what, what have you been listening to, or reading, or watching, or what would you recommend to someone? If oh, well, I, I, I don't. I tell you, I've been reading. Um, I've been reading quite a, quite a few different things actually. Um, I read some Sebastian Barry, which mm-hmm. which I thought was mind blowing. I read some Hilary Mantel, which I thought was very long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I the number three is so long. Um, but I, 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 but uh, Sebastian Barry surprised me. The beauty of his writing—not surprised me, but delighted me. Mm. Um, I was then reading, um, and continue to read this fabulous American essayist and poet Wendell Berry. Right. Okay. I would really recommend him, mm-hmm. and the reason I would give for that is that he is an elderly man who is a farmer, who is a superlative writer. On, on many things, but like he lives on a farm. He's a farmer. But his writing about our relationship with our world, our, our physical world, particularly the rural world, and our requirement to be honest about it and and do it with some dignity is quite extraordinary. If I could recommend an essay to your listeners, uh, it's called A Native Hill. Okay. It is the best um, I've ever read about maybe the beginnings of somehow changing our relationship with the natural world. Wow. Okay. Maybe. I mean, it's certainly the best effort I've read at trying to understand what is actually beneath our feet. Wow. And uh, highly recommend it. And of course, it's so beautifully written. Mm. Um, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a, in, in, incredibly. I've been more and more drawn to nature since I came home, you know. Um, I don't know if you can hear the crows out there. I can, I can certainly hear them at this end. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they're here too. But uh, we live in a beautiful part of the world. But I think um, COVID is 
I've written a song during lockdown about COVID, mm. which I'm hoping to be able to perform uh, before Christmas at an event that's being planned. I shouldn't say that because I, I have been asked, but I, nothing is signed off on yet. Mm-hmm. And, and most one of the things I, I remember writing about was the clamorousness of the birds, you know? Mm-hmm. The fact that we gave space to other beings for once. Mm-hmm. For once, we just got off the stage, you know? Yeah. Because we really hogged the stage to the point of boring ourselves to death yeah. as a species, I think. Uh, I can't think of much that we do that's right. That might sound very nihilistic, mm. but I really don't think that we've done much that's right by the world we live in. So Wendell Berry, if, if, if even a couple of people read him, it, would, it could make a difference. Well, I'll certainly have a go myself based on that recommendation, I think. Oh, do it's very. I I um, I'll drop you a little email later. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, do you get home to West Cork very often? Well, do you know I was home a few days ago to see because I think you're from down Skibreen direction, aren't you? There now, born and bred, yeah. Where are you exactly now? I'm right in the middle of town. There I'm you right. go. Well, my I'm, dad went to school in Skibreen. Christian Brothers, the De La Salle Brothers, even De La Salle Brothers. I mean, yeah. sorry. I, and he grew up on the island of Ringaroega. Ringaroega I know it well. And any Leonards down there are surely related to me. And apparently I'm related to Driscoll's as well. There you are. There you are. There's a lot of us, There's a lot of us around. But I was down to see mom and dad actually yesterday. Brilliant. And um, it was just wonderful to see them in Ballygourney um, in sunlight. Uh, not often enough. Um, is the answer I don't I don't um, I'll try and go down again in a month's time just to we have a very big family there's there's 12 or there was and um, you know trying to bring everybody together of course is a challenge but we do we do it sometimes I think we do it we do quite well um, you know families families you know I, my admiration for my parents is, is huge they had 12 kids and you know, I don't know how they did it. Mm. It's, it. It doesn't happen that much these days anymore, I don't think, does it? I suppose. I mean, it, you know, it would probably be an embarrassment now to people to consider something like that. It would, couldn't, couldn't happen, and for good reasons. And there's more than enough of us in the world anyway. <laughs> Go on and so forth. <laughs> um, listen, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you, Erla. And same um, as that, Nana. Thank and- you for taking Talk to me. And sure, look, we might we we might catch up in person one one of the days when you're in West Cork or something. I'd love that, and um, I've had great experiences playing in Skibbereen at various festivals. Um, you know, I said it to someone there about ten years ago. There was a friend of mine had a a family residence, holiday residence down in Castle Freak, mm. and we were down there myself and himself and, and my brother, and it, it just dawned on me something so obvious. I said to myself I know I'm from Ballyborny and like it's taken up a huge part of my upbringing but there is a side of me that's very West Cork like in the yeah. sense of part of West Cork your part mm. that's very different from the Gaeltacht you know but which sits very easily with me nonetheless Brilliant. and I feel I'm very very much comfortable 
in my West Corkness, you know, as opposed to even my Kool-Aid or Ballyburnianess. It's a different mindset. Brilliant. Try and figure that out, but it means something to me. <laughs> well, as, as, as a born and bred West Corkman myself, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, could, I couldn't explain it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a kind of a thing, isn't there? There is. There is. I, I always feel at home there. I always feel just, we've holidayed down there and stuff, and we always feel so happy there. You're, 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 you're a bit too close to Kerry and Kool-Aid. That's what's wrong. <laughs> well, there, there, there's definitely, we're, we're tainted for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and on that note, on that note, listen, lovely talking to you and um, we will catch up soon. Uh, Mind yourself. My pleasure. Take care. And so to this week's newspaper. Our front page features a very dramatic drone image by Skibbereen photographer Gary Minahan of the horrendous fire in the former Mercy Heights site on the Cork Road in the town on Tuesday evening. Our own digital manager, Jack McCarran, was one of the first people on the scene and he gives his eyewitness account inside the paper this week, while Jackie Kill talks to Paul Collins, who recently received planning permission for a €10 million Euro development on the site. We also cover the fact that the COVID figures in Cork are steadily on the rise and a joint initiative by the HSE, Cork County Council and the Gardaí is hoping to get us all back on track. We also cover the ongoing fears over the future of Cork Airport with the airport's managing director, Neil McCarthy, telling us that pre-flight testing must be introduced if we have any chance of securing the hundreds of jobs linked to the facility and the thousands linked indirectly, of course. We also have news about councillors voting for an increase in property tax, a new library for Kinsale and how some West Cork properties are selling after just one viewing as demand has surged in the region with people opting to leave cities and re-evaluate their lifestyles. The courts are back in full flow now so we have plenty of local coverage from our reporters around the region and in our regular history slot we have a fascinating look at two prominent men both born within weeks of each other in West Cork, Michael Collins and Michael O'Leary, one who became a poster boy for the British Army and one who, of course, did not. We also have a communion and confirmation photo special and all our usual columnists, business and motoring pages. This week's property section features a hotel for sale on Cherkin Island with a price tag of 1.3 million, sorry, 1.5 million euro and a cottage near Skibbereen with a separate studio for under 300,000 euro. There are details in the farming section of how to enter this year's farming awards and in life and community, Emma Connolly is wondering in her COVID diary if we might all need Roy Keane to give us a good talking to. And our usual local notes pages are as always packed with news from your local area and we have our usual packed sports section. So don't forget, if you can't get to the shops, you can subscribe online by going to southernstar.ie and clicking on the e-paper tab at the top. Or call the office on 0282100 for a postal copy to be sent out to you. And now for this week's musical treat. This week's music is from composer Linda Buckley's brand new album From Ocean's Floor, which features Irla O'Leonard and the Crash Ensemble. Linda is from Kinsale originally and comes from a very musical family of nine. She is currently based in Glasgow, where she lectures in music. This piece is called Gyalak Agus Green, the Sun and the Moon. Hear me, 
Thank you for listening to the Southern Star Coronavirus podcast. And don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast, which is available now on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie